0: Did I see that you're a DJ? An MC. I write and record my own stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it. And and what name do you go under? My name, just Ian. Ian Levy. Ian Levy. Yeah. So it's all Family. it's all yeah, pretty bare bones here. Just it's me, you know. That's of <laughs> a. <laughs> uh, that's the most authentic way to go. You, you gotta have an eye.
1: Third Eye Education.
0: Third Eye.
1: Welcome to Third Eye Education. Today we bring you a conversation with Dr. Ian P. Levy. Levy is an MC, was named the 2016 Counselor of the Year in the state of New York, he's host of the Lunchroom Cypher podcast, and most famously the author of Hip Hop Ed, Volumes 1 and 2, and his newest book, Hip Hop and Spoken Word Therapy in School Counseling. I'll get us started. So... Ian, we're really glad to have you here. Our first question really is just you know, you've been using hip hop as this tool for a long time now. Do you have a theory for why students feel safe engaging in hip hop where they might not do so in just regular conversation? And are there other modes out there that are as comfortable as hip hop that you've found?
2: Yeah, so it's a great question. A couple ways to answer it, right? So, traditionally, like approaches to counseling, largely, were developed like for and by white folks right so traditional approaches to counseling and therapy are steeped in white ways of knowing and being, and therefore are not generalizable to other populations. In fact, when counseling services have been used in these ways right through these very traditional mediums not only have like black and brown young people not sought out those services or felt like distrust towards those services, but at the same time, they created hip hop music and culture, right? So when, when the services are not available, the culture became the service. It's an age old hip hop story, right? It's, it's, it's this making something out of nothing. It's when, when there's not an opportunity within a system for a voice hip-hop emerges as this pathway. And so I've argued a lot in my work that, like, you know, youth congregating around a lunch table, like my podcast, The Lunchroom Cypher, and banging a beat out and exchanging rhyme, emotionally themed rhymes, is as much group counseling as we want group counseling to be. But often it cannot be because it's not steeped in youth culture and, and ways of knowing it being. So For me, I think like when I think about why hip hop works or what the theory is, the theory is actively understanding that traditional theories were not developed for black and brown young people and hip hop was developed by black and brown people. So therefore the theory is hip hop, the theory is nothing that I've created or that anybody else is it's something that the Community has created as a response to the lack of access.
3: You know, this is something that I am exploring and learning more about hip hop because it's not my typical area that yes. I'm listening to, but I've learning to appreciate it more. One of our guests was Dessa and that was my first kind of like, oh, this is some real artistic language going on here. Yeah. But I, I am kind of curious. Uh, when you started investigating hip hop as a means for reaching your students, were they quick to accept that, or did they see you as an interloper in this culture?
2: So it's a really good question, right? Like it's this question of how do you engage in the work without appropriating, right? Yeah. like and I try to draw lines here between like appropriation and appreciation. and it's delicate. I have not only been accepted or only been, you know like I there I, i've I've stepped in both sides. I've had moments where I probably was veering towards, appropriation and then had moments where i was steeped in appreciation so i don't think it's sure all or nothing type of thing here but what i will say is my first entry point to hip-hop was not hey this could be cool for my students right my first entry point to hip-hop was when i was 19 years old in a college dorm with a bunch of friends in queens new york a very like actually very diverse group of folks right i might have been one of the few like white folks even in that space. And I remember being in awe, listening to people share rhymes, whether it's open mic events or just a circle of people in a cypher sharing rhymes. I wanted to be able to do that same thing. And I come from a music background, right, which is also important context here. Like my dad's a jazz trombonist, my mom's an opera singer. Wow. And I was raised in New York City. So I'm raised in music. I played trumpet for like 15 years, I love, love, love music. So I naturally could appreciate the rhythms and the cadences. And I, I, I was drawn to hip hop initially, just from a musical perspective. But I also then wanted to share. And I remember going to a couple of these open mics, kind of communal rhyming spaces and dorm rooms, cyphers, right. And not sharing, cause I didn't really know how, but then going home at night and listening to beats online somewhere where i could find beats like you early days of youtube and then like writing my own rhymes so i could try to put something together that i could share when i got back to that space and so i remember doing that for the first time and being wildly accepted and my rhymes and i write about this a bit in my in my book as well it's like i wrote about difficult things that i had experienced like i had a learning disability in school and like i had some Troubles with my parents, you know, and like I wrote rhymes about these things and I shared them with complete strangers. I'm there rapping about how I have dyslexia and struggled with my parents in in a cipher with people I've never met. And instead of them looking at me like, why is this guy disclosing all this awkward information about himself? They accepted it, right? I was radically accepted by a community and I felt like loved and appreciated wow. for being vulnerable in ways that I had never felt before in my life. And so that was the entry point. And that entry point is for me, the appreciation. From that moment on, I have not stopped going to hip hop spaces. So I spend as much time doing work with young people that I spend in and around hip hop culture. I know all the open mic nights. I'm I'm a guest judge on this hip hop game show that's happening virtually in a couple of weeks with a bunch of MC friends of mine. I I've I've chosen to sort of live and breathe the, the work as a guest in the work, like as a guest in the culture, but. But as somebody who's has committed to learning and being a student of the culture. And so that for me has been like what's enabled me to then when I bring this work to youth, to bring it in such a way that it feels authentic and that's been essential, right? So like I knew on a personal level, the power that hip hop had for me and my own healing and knew the people around me had experienced hip hop in the same way. And so I took a gamble and put a microphone in the corner of my office in my first school counselor job and youth flocked to it and, uh, wow. And the rest is history, but it came from like this understanding for me, at least of the power of hip hop and in, in terms of what it had on, the, on my life and those around me. Right. And I'm not the only one to do this. A lot of people have experienced sort of the personal power of hip hop. And then that has guided their interest in infusing it into their work in, in counseling and therapy and education, you know, in any field. Sure. But um, but that for me is sort of the origin story is in appreciation.
1: Wow. It's not like a huge leap, Ian, really, because I think about music therapy and I think about how we use writing a lot as a therapy tool. And so really hip hop is music and poetry combined. And also one thing that I like in hip hop with spoken word poetry is that there's also a lot of thinking on your feet, especially when you're in those ciphers and you're dropping rhymes like kind of in an improv fashion. And so I also think there's a critical thinking skill there that I just love that as well. And I was watching some of the, the videos, your TED Talk, some of the news stories, the New York Times story and things like that, that were done. And specifically the moments that the kids themselves get to talk about the program, yeah. it's it's awesome. It's just awesome. amazing to watch their, their faces light up and, and watch their brains engage with the writing and, and with the the rhythm. And especially in hip hop, you have those really high level literary skills that they have to do on the fly. Kids struggle with that sometimes. You you put it to something that they have a passion for, in your student's case is hip hop, and, and that becomes easier to do. Yes.
2: The goal is like these social and emotional outcomes, particularly in, in the work of the school counselor, but it has the ability to then advance literacy skills and support, so you know, like English attainment, obviously in, in a number of different academic disciplines, it can support, which is wonderful. But there's this piece about the Cypher that you said that I think is really important, which is this like willingness to be comfortable and flexible and like be on the spot. And hip hop is like the best at that. It is so not structured, right? And this is why uh, it, a lot of the times it, it causes some discomfort in education. My mentor, Dr. Emden, says this right the best educator is one that can not only just plan a lesson, but can throw that lesson away in a second when they realize that the class is going somewhere else. So, that ability to pivot and just go where you need to go is, is central, I think, in education, but is the foundation of what counseling is right. Counseling is I need to go where the person in front of me wants to go, I need to be a mirror for that person, help them see themselves. So, I don't, I can't pre plan. Too much of what it is that i'm going to do right my goal is to maybe have some activities or some prompts that help a person understand something about themselves so then i can dig deeper and go to a new place but all of that is hip-hop so like you know in a cypher that you don't know what rhymes are going to happen but you watch it happen like if you have ever been in a cypher somebody starts rhyming about a, a loss that they've experienced and then almost like dominoes everybody else in the cypher starts rhyming about a loss that they've experienced and nobody told anybody to do that. Nobody, like, it just happens organically because it can go that way, right? And and and, and it's, it's literally from the brain to rhyming, right? Like, especially when it's freestyle, it's just very guttural, just like immediate release of thoughts and feelings, free association it's calling up for me, which is a very like sort of, you know, I think Freudian, right? Like uh, approach, but just this notion of like, can I bring up things that are just within me? and that the cypher actually creates a space for that and the last thing i'll say is when i did interviews with rappers on their experiences in cyphers uh, which was a, a study that I did kind of recently a bunch of them sort of spoke to this this moment where you learn to let go of the fear of just like almost like word vomiting and and just letting things flow and when you allow that to occur you can discover new things about yourself right so there's this cognitive process too of like when you're trying to say something new or trying to evoke things that maybe you don't know about yourself or speak without an understanding of what is going to come out of your mouth next there's this internal dialogue in your head that's like you sound stupid, you sound silly, like stop saying that thing, you know, that we all experience in meetings everywhere. The cipher primes you to think about and if you can work on like quieting that voice and just getting to that place where you can just speak what is on your heart and on your mind without thinking, that can be a really beautiful place and is so helpful in, in the counseling process because we want all of the stuff to come out, whether it's good, whether it's some thinking that we want to work on, right? Like whatever it is, we want it all to come to the surface so we can talk through it. And I think the cipher is like that perfect place and that freestyle piece that you had mentioned other is like, I just think essential.
3: Wow.
1: Well, and I also think too, Ian, that authentic, there's that authenticity piece that when they push to that point in the cipher that they can be their authentic self, but also in the cipher where you get this celebration of that authenticity, because sometimes when you're super, your authentic self, brilliance just comes forth. But then other people in the cipher will celebrate it. You get that kind of verbal like, oh yeah, moment. Yeah. And to have that to have that celebration of your authentic self, where else do we see that in the world? It's not a lot of places. No,
2: not a lot of places at all. In fact, it's almost the antithesis of that, right? Like we shun authenticity, you know, and whether we like it or not, a lot of the times education is is a very sort of like factory-like system when not done well, and it's not rewarding authenticity, but it rewards like standardization. And if that's the case, then hip hop stands in opposition to that. Again, when the system fails, hip hop is there, right? Like, I think that that's that's something that we've seen time and time again.
3: Well, and you've been able to create a safe space for people to actually express something that's hidden in their mind, that it's wheeling in their head, but they don't have a place to express it, and now You freed them up to do it in a safe place where other people are sharing things that are deep, maybe emotional things that they can share in a safe place and maybe have something to work on when they, when it's comes out. Yeah, it's amazing.
2: Thank you, man. I appreciate that. And I'll just clarify, right? Like in a school, I certainly have created spaces for this, but like hip hop created this right. And that's the coolest thing about it is that what the effort that we're doing is pushing school systems to allow hip hop to exist authentically. Because if it does, then youth know what to do already. That we're tapping into something that is way before our time, that is tied to sort of like ancestry and lineage and like it's cultural. And so if we know that, then we say, I need to make sure that I'm doing all that's within my power, particularly as like a white man, right? To push and create opportunities for hip hop to be hip hop. So it's not like I didn't create the cypher. I didn't create the studio. I just pushed administrators and people in my building to let the cypher and the studio exist right in that space.
3: Were they afraid to do that initially?
2: Yeah, I think so. You know, um, there, there's a, there's a lot of pushback. You know, I, I have to say like, I I've, I've been very lucky. I've had administrators that have opened the door But I can't say that I've always had administrators that are ready for, like, what comes through the door, (laughs) right? Like, so they'll open it up. But then, like, you have to understand, like, if you invite hip-hop, you're inviting everything. And, like, I think that's necessary. And I love that. But that has not come without pushback, without struggle, right? Um, It's hard. It's hard, you know. And when you create a space that invites youth to bring all of themselves into it, like one space like the counselor's office within a school if the other spaces within the school don't also do that youth are going to be like but wait a minute because they know something's up already when they can't be themselves and now we're showing them but wait it can be great but it's just not like that math class is the complete opposite of what I'm experiencing in the counselor's office so then when they have to leave you know lunch period or whatever I'm working with them and go to that math class adverse reactions might occur like I don't have to be this way in levy space why do I have to be like this here and so it does not come without turbulence but I would say that that turbulence is necessary because that allows us to then call out other spaces within the school that are not that way but that's not always an easy thing. I've had a lot of administrators that are like, yes, this sounds wonderful. Let me let you start a group. But they're not ready to then say like, well, let me also change my entire math curriculum. But that might be what you push for yeah. if that starts to occur. So again, I think that that's necessary. But this work necessitates, I think, pushing back against almost everything
0: else too. You mentioned math. It sounded like you had an example. I'd love to hear math and hip hop. Well, there are ways, and I should shout out
2: people that do this, Uh, Marty Kaysen is a colleague of mine who does really, really great work in in math ed. But one that comes to mind immediately, you could very easily listen to like a snippet of a song, of a beat in particular, and you could count syllables and do ratios of multi-syllable words versus one syllable words. You could also do like snare drums versus kick drums. You could, you could break down components of the beat or components of lyrics mathematically, I think quite easily. You could do lessons like that. You could also do lessons around, you know, if you track somebody's record sales, right? You could actually look at how well the marketing plan for a particular album is doing or how many streams it's getting versus other ones. So you can do a lot of number-based work around hip hop content that's happening within the world. Or you can just get as like granular as like, let me break down this beat and figure out what's the ratio of snares to kick drums right and play a little beat snippet and teach students what those sounds are and then ask them to do the math, you know. For that and work with them do that, those are just ideas off the top of my head, but the point of the matter is like there's so many pathways right.
1: And I know this is old school. This is probably like five, six years old at this point. But I'm remembering when the Wall Street Journal came out with all the algorithms for how to analyze Hamilton, the musical lyrics, and did all the comparisons to like Kendrick Lamar and Big Pun and Nas and Lauryn Hill. And I know that there are some teachers who use that as an opportunity to blend English with math with social studies. And how cool to add that counseling piece in.
2: Peace in as well yeah i mean you can can also like consider the emotional timbre of each of those songs right and you can like there might be ways to actually quantify emotional words used i'm thinking about like com- mathematically comparing the amount of emotional words used in one song versus the other and then trying to see which one has more listens which one went platinum more you know we know in hip-hop that things that are deeply emotional resonate. And that can usually lead to more engagement. And so anyways, there's ways that's mathematical. It's also, mm-hmm. like you said, literary and it's rooted.
1: Structure matching content. So that element of like, how does a piece that has more beats per minute impact the emotion of the the listener and things like that? You can totally combine the math with the, um, with the social, emotional and the English piece there for sure. Yeah.
2: And Mm -hmm. you can manipulate BPM with like a DJ equipment too. So you can Mm -hmm. slow and speed things up and actually say like, how does this make you feel versus that we can go forever about it. Right. But this is the coolest thing about this work is that it's the potential is endless. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and hip hop has many pathways for us to, to travel down.
1: Yeah. I could talk with you forever.
0: So you've given us a, a tool, hip hop and a mindset staying open particularly to situations where uh, people have come up with authentic answers to things they've been denied, staying open, flexible. Do you think those two things have to exist together? Is there an easier foot to start on if if you're listening to this and you're like, I want to go down the same path that Ian Levy did? What would you recommend to somebody listening? A great
2: place to begin this work, if you have not, is just simply asking youth to show you what it is that they listen to. Mm Mm-hmm especially in this virtual medium if if you have youth who are on spotify or soundcloud or any of these virtual streaming platforms you can ask them hey create me a playlist of like some things that you're listening to and i say that because people usually listen to what is on their mind like the songs that i listen to are a reflection of my own mental state right i have songs i listen to when i'm excited i have songs i listen to when i'm sad I know what i go to and i'm sure we all do in our own ways right we all have our things and so i think that's a great place to start and if you're meeting with a young person and you have a song that they like you can listen to that song with them and pull the lyrics up and ask them follow-up questions about the lyrics and i hear this song talking a lot about family what about this song resonates with you just questions that oftentimes people will share things a bit more easily if they're processing them through this third party so it provides i think an immediate vehicle at the beginning and from that you can build out larger practices and youth will show you how to do that if they if they're interested in that first step right but i think that's the easiest way to start is just listen and if you're not even with youth and you want to prepare you can listen to your own stuff if if you don't listen to hip-hop right now but you know your youth do look up some songs listen to them pull up the lyrics yourself ask yourself what's behind this right if you start having reactions where you're like oh they said a curse word i don't like that ask yourself what types of biases within yourself might emerge when you're trying to really tap into what emotions are present within a hip-hop song if you're not familiar right so i think there's a lot of self-work that can happen in some entry-level activities you can do with youth as well i love that
1: a lot of what you just said with hip hop is very true with literature as well. We have these opportunities to create windows and mirrors. We recently had a conversation with Wiley Blevins where we talked about windows and mirrors in literature and how they can really allow us to express ourselves because we're doing it through a fictional character. Um, and it gives mm-hmm. us freedom to talk about things. And so, a lot of times, there are literary elements, whether it be reading or writing, yeah. that has an element of therapy to it. And one thing that we talked about with Dessa, too, is how hip hop really can be and is often and maybe should be taught more frequently as literature. And I hear that resonating with everything you've just shared.
2: And and there's a bunch of people that I should shout out that are doing a lot of that work. So like Lauren Kelly is one that comes to mind. Who's a colleague of mine. Uh, Jamila Lyscott is another one. Scholars that have like really treated hip-hop with the honor and respect it deserves as language, as knowledge, as, as literacy. And so I think that that's super important here. And, and a lot of the times the school counselor as like an advocate for students can, can be that bridge. And I remember the ninth grade English teacher, the ninth grade English teacher used to do a public service announcement assignment every year. Or just a little PSA they could do about whatever they want. I remember there was this one year where students wanted to do one about gun violence. And so they had created this video montage around gun violence, and they had some research that they did. They wanted to sort of communicate through their presentation. And they thought it'd be cool because they also had participated in some of the programming that I had done to record a song about gun violence that they put beneath the track. And so I was able to negotiate with the English teacher to like, altered the assignment. I think they had to do like a written piece to like a paper almost to submit along with their assignment. And she said, well, you could write a song instead and submit that alongside this, and that's still a written component, right? Treating even the process of writing a song as equivalent to the process of writing like a short little essay or a blurb about your presentation. And so students recorded and they put together this really awesome PSA around gun violence with a really powerful song, like I think actually accentuated the project. But that required the students to say, Hey, there's this studio. We want to go use it. It required the English teacher then be able to acknowledge that there were some alternate ways that young people wanted to make sense of the content and then to collaborate with the school counselor and that teacher school counselor collaboration is another dynamic within this school ecosystem that we need to work on, right? These folks need to be in in collaboration with each other regularly. And if all those can happen, then all of our work can like support each other's. Right. Even if I'm doing therapy or counseling work over here, it does not mean that it does not have then the ability to sort of bleed into the work that's being done in the English classroom.
3: When kids have graduated and moved on, what kind of connection do you have with that? How has this informed them as they get out in the world of work and and such? Have they had that code switch or or find ways to live in different places and, and communicate different styles?
2: Yeah, so I'm connected with a handful of students still in the area. A lot of them are actually still in New York City, but are pursuing, That's the benefit of doing this work in New York City is a lot of local colleges and places that you can go and sort of still say local. So I've had students at NYU as well as some local community colleges here. So it sort of runs the gamut. As well as within the, the city system, I call it CUNY, which is the City University of New York. So there's sort of an array of options here that students have all tapped into, and I've kept the relationships with students in a lot of different ways. You know, they come sometimes back to work that I do with like middle or high schools, like to guest speak about their work, which has been really nice. They've come with me to conferences a bunch, which is also a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the transition into the world of work is another part of this process, and I. High school systems, at least in New York, have a way of having us so focused on graduation as an end goal Hmm. that I don't know if we necessarily set up youth beyond that point. That's an area where I've, I can say I've gone more intentionally in my research now as a counselor educator, and I've been writing a lot about how do we like think about career and college readiness approaches that infuse hip hop, what does it look like? I think One of the arguments that I've made is we need to be sending our students to college campuses that are going to invite, if not all of them, definitely more of them. There are examples of this. My colleagues at Virginia Tech have an organization through actually the college library and this guy, Craig Arthur, called the Virginia Tech's digging in the crates. And it's this entire like undergraduate centered hip hop program through the library, they have a studio, they do all types of hip hop programming. Hmm. My colleagues out in California at Skyline College have the Cypher program, which is a hip hop center that specifically is a group of college counselors tied to retention and other types of college programming to just create culture and community on campus through hip hop are working with undergraduates. Aisha Upchurch at Harvard is doing the the hip hop X lab, which is similarly positioned. So the reality is there are people on college campuses leveraging hip hop work to create spaces of acceptance and authenticity at the college level. And I think because that exists, it's now the responsibility of school counselors to say, okay, if I'm doing this work at the high school level, how am I making sure that there's a continuation of these services? If I'm sending my students off to college, are there gonna be people that meet them on the other side, right, that are going to allow them to develop in the same way? We should truthfully be held to those metrics. But again, our metrics in education are how many of your students went to college, how many of them graduated, not how well are they doing in five years, right? If that's how our high schools were sort of assessed, then we'd be forced to look a lot differently. We focus too much on getting youth out the door, though we don't actually focus on youth development. And so I've fallen prey to that myself. I have relationships with a lot of my students, but I didn't think as much about what I was going to do to get students situated later in life as I did at making sure that they graduated from high school and got into college, but that's not enough because we see, if you look at the retention rate, that's not enough. And so one of the things that I'm trying to hold myself accountable for in my own research and my own thinking and my own advocating now is what's next. We know that it works in school. So what's next and how can we build that out? I'd brag about myself if I could in that arena, but that's an area that I still want to focus on. I think it's necessary that we really create those pathways.
1: That is one thing we talk a lot about in Yoda, this little southeastern Minnesota town, because there's a lot of focus on college and career ready. And we keep trying to remind ourselves and our staff and students that it's not about being college and career ready. It's about being world ready because it goes beyond college. It goes beyond career. And some kids, they might not go straight to career. They might not go straight to college. So how do we make sure that they're ready to operate in the world at large?
2: And also, our metrics, right? So, I agree with that. And to add, our metrics for college and career ready are what? Like SAT score and GPA?
1: Yeah, we're working on that too. Yeah, absolutely. That
2: doesn't mean anything. Despite how well you can do academically, mm-hmm. the issues around retention particularly for black and brown youth at predominantly white institutions are centered around like, how do I exist in really racist spaces? Mm -hmm. So they're not about actually being able to perform academically, but these social emotional skills, it's part skills, but then also part systemic, because I also don't want to say, well, our goal is only to send youth with the skills into racist systems, because that doesn't sit with all me either. So how do we do both at the same time? Mm -hmm. How do we help young people develop the skills that are necessary to Transgress through these systems, but also, what are we doing to hold those systems accountable? And that's why I was pointing at people like like Aisha and people like um, Nate Novato, you know, that that are doing this work on college campuses because they're pushing, they're creating like systemic change on their college campuses. So let's send our youth there while we can,
0: because those are going to be the spaces that invite them. Mm-hmm. We're we're running out of time, Ian, but I just I got to ask before we get there. Yeah, if you're an individual listening to this that wants to make systemic change. Do you have a recommendation? It depends on where you're working.
2: Figure out what types of programming you can create immediately that create opportunities for hip hop to exist authentically. So that could be an after school club. That could be a lunch group. There might be, if you're on a college campus, there's clubs on campuses. You might get a little stipend as a faculty to just create a little hip hop club. Even if it's just you and youth hanging out, listening to some music, that is a step in the right direction. What can you create using your access and your positionality. How can you create something even small where hip hop can like breathe a little bit and then trust that and follow where it takes you.
1: Let's transition to in the blink of three eyes. So in the blink of three eyes are just three rapid fire questions we use to finish each episode. So I'm just gonna to toss the first one out at you. What podcast book show or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately?
2: Ooh, um, I read uh, Bettina Love's book, not even recently at this point, but it's still sticking with me. It was almost a year ago. So I would just look up Bettina Love's work on abolitionist teaching. Uh, Her book has been really, really influencing the way I've been thinking lately.
3: We really value innovation. What is one innovation that you've seen recently or you would really like to see?
2: Using social media, like in education more and in hip hop work more. I felt like a dinosaur a little bit even though I'm like in my mid thirties during the pandemic, because like young people are out here, like changing the game via like TikTok and all these other spaces. And I'm like, how are they doing that? So I'd like
0: to see that become at the forefront of what we do in hip hop based like counseling work. All right. Our our last one, Uh, listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be?
2: Well, I would love to build with anybody who wants to start some like hip hop based small groups or anything like that. So I would encourage people to reach out my way. Also, I try my best to put as many of my resources online on my website as possible. Um, I don't even know if I'm supposed to, but I like upload PDFs of my journal articles to my website. So go get, you know, so there, we're creating some access or as much as we can until they tell me I can't. <laughs> um so yeah you can check out my my website which is just my name it's enplebe.com. and there's resources there also contact information for me there so i would love to build and and just discuss or even if you just want to access a reading and toss a question my way or whatever you know i'm i'm open and willing to collaborate and communicate.
1: We love that. We love that you are not only open to collaboration but that you are doing what you can to make sure that there's not paywalls to accessing cool resources.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we have to. I legitimately hope that you get hundreds of emails after this goes up. Not to swamp you, but I'd love for them to reach out. So I, I really hope they take you up on it. Uh, and again, your website is I-A-N-P-L-E-V-Y dot com. And I'm assuming your contact information is there as well? My contact information
2: is there as well, but I'm also I'm E-N-P Levy across like all social media platforms, so it's very easy.
3: Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Levy. You have really opened my mind up quite a bit about just how imaginative, creative, and how important it is for us to reach kids where their level is. It's just astounding. Great work.
2: I cannot express how just like thankful and appreciative I am. Like I, this is my first book or anything like this. And just for, for you all to just be so willing to get it as quick as you could and and you know and, and and read through it as quick as you can and and want to talk about it i mean it's just
1: absolutely it warms
2: my heart so just truly like thank you for that i love interest. what you're doing so keep it up
1: thank you to ian levy for our conversation today to our hosts nick truxell mike carolyn heather like and to dover yoda schools for their support thank you to michael terrell for our music also please take a moment to review our podcast on whatever platform and consider reading some of our articles on thirdied.com. Please join us for future conversations with Scott Goodson, business entrepreneur, Sarah Zerwin, author of Pointless, Jim Thompson, innovator of teacher growth models, and Kim Marshall, the keeper of the pulse of education. Until then.